0: We're in John's Gospel in chapter number 4 today for our text. John's Gospel as we're tracing through the miracles that John recorded. Each one with a specific purpose as he chose out very specific miracles. We should do the second miracle, John chapter 4, for our text today. My grandfather's name was Tula Koksnes. <laughs> when he came from Norway to America, he took a name that would be easier to say in American. So instead of Tura, he used the name Tom. And instead of Koksnes, he did what a lot of Norwegians did. He used his father's first name. And then so, said, well, I'm his son. His father's name was Ula. And so he said, I'm Ula's son, or as we say today, Olson. So uh, that was his name here, Tom Olson. But no, no Norwegian ever called him that. <laughs> he was a craftsman, hard worker, became captain of the shipyards in New York City. Before I was ever born, he retired and moved to Connecticut, and that's where I knew him. If I could explain to you his most impressive characteristic, I would say that it was that he seldom spoke. He was a very quiet man and thoughtful. And of all the times that we visited him through the years and stayed at his house, I only recall one time he ever spoke directly to me. Only one time. And it wasn't just me that he didn't speak to. It was everybody. I remember he had two sisters who came to visit. And the two sisters chatted and talked away and talked to all of us children. And he sat next to them and said nothing all afternoon and all night. Then he got up and, uh, to go in the house. And they said to him, where are you going? He said, I don't want to smoke another pipe to keep the bugs away. I'm going to bed. <laughs> That's all he said all day. He just didn't talk. The result of that was when he did talk, everybody listened to see what he would say. He saw me once playing with my jackknife, and he said, follow me. And so, of course I did. He took me down in his cellar, showed me his woodworking shop, all hand tools. There wasn't a power tool there. And he took my jackknife and he sharpened it on his big old grinding stone with with the foot pedals like a bicycle, sharpened up my knife. And that little 20-minute interview made a very deep impression on my mind. I still recall his tone of voice and his words. uh, And that was just because that's the only time he ever had a conversation with me. He didn't have conversations with hardly anybody. I recall one day a big wind blew up on that mountain where he lived and blew over his outhouse. (laughs) And when we got there, he was very concerned about it. My father and I pushed it back up, and he just smiled a lot. We went in for lunch after that, and he cleared his throat at the table. Everybody stopped talking. And he said one sentence, he said, Erik is strong. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's all he had to say. Erik is strong because I pushed the outhouse back up. <laughs> Many people valued his opinion because he only spoke if there was something important to say. And as I read the gospel stories about Jesus, I often get the idea that Jesus was not a big talker and not a chatterbox. Yes, he preached. But many of his private interviews, only a couple sentences. And so when he did speak, you better listen. He's got something wonderful to say. So we started a new series that traces eight miracles of Jesus recorded by John. And although he did hundreds of miracles, maybe thousands, so many that John said there's not enough books in the the world to record all that he did. Still, John handpicked eight of those miracles with a specific purpose of pointing out different aspects of his character. Now last week, we saw that he, without being asked, changed the water into wine. and so doing, he supplied the wedding with wine and saved a great deal of embarrassment for those folks and made the young couple's wedding one of the most famous weddings of all time. He showed his power and his wisdom and he used kindness and generosity to do it. Well, my friends, we will find that the news of that first miracle traveled far and wide. Because of that first miracle, he will perform his second miracle. Now, I must tell you, the passage we're about to read is not an easy passage. Passage. For two reasons. Number one, we tend to read the passage with the knowledge of all that Jesus did already in our head. And we look back and say, he did miracles. He did lots of them. He healed sick people. And he walked on water. And he fed 5,000. He even rose from the dead. He can do anything. And all that is true. But it was not true in the beginning as he started out. Put yourself in the time frame of our text. Jesus has only done one miracle. changed water to wine, and that 's all. The story of that miracle has spread like wildfire, uh, but that 's all there is so far. just one change water to wine. So our looking back and thinking he can do anything is not what people were thinking at that moment. Secondly, and I think this goes for all of us, we are very poor readers. We don't read well. We read quickly and we often fail to grasp the tone of voice and the urgency and the way things were said. And so we get a wrong impression. So carefully now, let's read now the second miracle of Jesus, John chapter 4, and I begin reading at verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Jesus is back in Cana. I am sure he's staying at the house of those two newlyweds, whose wedding became the talk of the town. He's been moving around. If we go back through the beginning of the Gospel of John, he went to Capernaum after he did the miracle in Cana, up by the Sea of Galilee. Then he went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, came back through Samaria, and finally he's arrived back in Cana where he started. Now enter into this story a nobleman, that is a person related to the king, King Herod. He's part of the royal family. And that information, of course, will tell us something about that man. He's probably well off. He probably has a cushy job. My friend, since the beginning of time, politicians have seldom been part of the working class. <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> this nobleman lives in Capernaum, which is a city by the Sea of Galilee, known for business and trade. He probably lives in comfort. He needs nothing. His name gets him everything he wants. But one day he goes home, To find that his son is sick. In the original languages the word is a little boy. A young child. Now my friends I know a lot of small people. I also know that small people have a great deal of power. You say no they don't they're just kids. I say oh yes they do. Because they got the power to steal your heart and wrap it around their little finger and tug at your heartstrings. Oh, they got lots of power. Now this nobleman may be well off. He may live in luxury and ease. But when that little boy gets sick, that little darling boy, there is no ease. There is no comfort. As he becomes more and more sickly, it becomes more and more urgent. I personally have sat by the bedside of small children who were sick and feverish, and I desperately wished that I could put my hands on them and take the fever out of them and into myself. And as the nobleman's little boy gets worse and worse, there's no money or price that he would not pay to see him recover. But money. Won't buy what he needs. Finally, with a burning fever and no appetite, the little boy becomes more and more listless and the father becomes desperate. And a thought occurs to him. Verse 47, he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee and he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death when there are no doctors that can help and no medicine that can cure and no remedy and no solution, then a thought occurs. There was a man over in Cana who did a great miracle a little while ago. He must have used God's power somehow. I wonder if that miracle working man could come and use his miracle working power to heal my little boy. And as his son slowly fades away, getting weaker and weaker, he finally makes a decision. I will go find him. And I will ask him to come and heal my son. Now understand, the nobleman's son is in Capernaum. Jesus is in Cana. Now that's over 20 miles away. It could be a six or seven hour walk from Capernaum to Cana. If he doesn't do something, the boy will die. So he leaves that sickbed where he's been so attentive. And he takes that long walk. Leaving at the crack of dawn. Arriving in Cana about seven hours later. He soon finds Jesus it's just a little place and with an urgent plea he says come with me to Capernaum and heal my son he's sick and he's almost dead please now please come and come now now watch this verse 48 then said Jesus unto him except you see signs and wonders you will not believe wow Why did Jesus say that? Isn't that kind of harsh? Hard thing to say? Unless you see a miracle, you won't believe. Now we've got to stop and think about it. It sounds rude. Almost cruel. What's on Jesus' mind that made him say that? Well, let's backtrack true to the beginning of the book of John. Jesus did the first miracle right there in Cana. He turned water into wine. Now it tells us next he went to Capernaum. What did he do there? Well he probably did what he did all over Galilee. He would go to the local synagogue and preach that's what he did first. Then he went from town to town preaching. It says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have no doubt that he preached in Capernaum. I also have no doubt that the nobleman did not attend that preaching. After all, he lives in ease and comfort. He doesn't need preaching. No, there's no evidence that this nobleman ever sought out Jesus before. But now there's a need and it's an urgent need. But still, why does Jesus say that to him? Follow me now as I go back a bit. It starts with Jesus going to see John the Baptist. John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And John, the author here, and Peter and Andrew, follow Jesus from the Jordan River to where he's staying that first night. And they spend half the night talking with Jesus, having a conversation. And when they're finished with that conversation, they are absolutely convinced he is Messiah. Then it says Jesus goes to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And in the dark of the evening down there in Jerusalem, a knock comes on the door. And Nicodemus comes and says to Jesus, you must be a teacher sent from God. Because your miracle working power is just amazing. What do you think he's talking about? Changing water to wine. He's heard it all the way down there in Jerusalem. Jesus has a conversation. And Nicodemus believes in Jesus and becomes a follower. Jesus then leaves Jerusalem to go back to Cana. Passing through Samaria tells us he stops at a well, and what does he do? He has a conversation with a woman. And she says that Jesus, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus spends two days talking to the people, and that whole town in Samaria believes he is the Messiah. Notice no miracles, just conversation. The disciples believe and follow. Nicodemus believes and becomes a follower. The woman at the well and all her neighbors believe. Not because of miracles, but because of conversation. Now why does the nobleman come to Jesus? Because he heard about the water being changed to wine. He didn't come to Jesus for conversation. He came for a miracle. My friends, don't be surprised at that. There are a lot of people who never pray until they need a miracle. And I'm sure that Jesus repeats these very same words up in heaven today over and over again. I never hear from you till you want a miracle. You won't believe unless you see a miracle. So now, let's go back and change the tone of voice and rethink this conversation. As short as it is, it's only a couple sentences between the nobleman and Jesus. Here comes the nobleman. He's just traveled as as fast as he could travel six or seven hours from Capernaum to find Jesus. And he finds him and he approaches him with urgency and his heart is breaking. And now as he's been traveling, he keeps thinking about that little boy back at home dying in his bed. And tears fill his eyes and he walks a little bit faster and faster to get there. And now in Jesus' presence, he blurts it out. Come, please come. Use that power. Come. My boy is dying. Please now. Please come. And Jesus feels sad. Here's a nobleman who lives in ease. And suddenly his life is in turmoil. And everything about his life seems so hollow and empty. Nothing can help his boy. And he just realizes that all he owns and all that he has is worth nothing. Nothing compared to the life of his darling boy. He needs so much. and he, But he's just come for the miracle. And Jesus sees him in his hour of crisis. And Jesus wants to give him so much more. Peace and joy and fulfillment and a reason to live. And with a sad heart, Jesus looks him in the eye and says, You won't believe until you see a miracle. And with tears in his eyes, verse 49, and the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down here, my child, die. Now notice verse 54. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Jesus has never healed anybody in public yet. So the man believes. He does have some faith. With no other healings on record, he does believe that Jesus can heal the boy. Otherwise he wouldn't have walked those seven hours to get to Jesus. But what happens next Is the key to the whole thing. Verse 50. Jesus saith unto him. Go thy way thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoken unto him. And he went his way. You have a nobleman who comes to Jesus with a broken heart. And an intense urgency. You must come. You must come now. And heal my son. And Jesus not unwilling. But wanting to give him so much more, sadly says, it's about miracles with you. It's just about miracles. And he repeats himself, please come, please come. And what happens I'm next was sure was a very poignant moment. Picture in your mind, Jesus grabs the man by the shoulders and looks at him. Right straight in the eye. And he does something that only Jesus can do. Now my friends, the thing about Jesus is that he can get right down inside your heart. And deep down in your heart, he can set it on fire. Don't you remember the two men who walked with him on the Emmaus road and talked with him? And they found out it was Jesus and what did they say? Didn't our hearts burn inside of us when he talked with us on the road? Oh yes, if you let him, he can light a fire inside of your heart. As Jesus looks into the poor man's eyes and he holds him by the shoulders, he says, Go thy way, thy son lives. It's just wonderful. As he looked into Jesus' eyes, and he heard the words, and the words went down in his heart, and he felt his heart burst into flame. And Jesus said, my son lives, and I could go home. My son lives with tears of joy and a thank you, thank you, thank you. He got up and went home. Now remember, it's a seven-hour trip to Capernaum. He left at the crack of dawn to walk to Cana. And he won't get home the same day he talked to Jesus. He'll have to travel till dark and stop and sleep. And then go on the next day. So in verse 51, As he was now going down, his servants met him, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. And he inquired of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And he himself believed in his whole house. Next day, early in the morning, after he spent a night somewhere, he starts to travel the rest of the way home. And he meets some of his servants on the road. and They're all excited. They say to him, your son lives. His fever broke and he sat right up in bed. And he said, I'm hungry. And he seems to be just fine. And noble man says, what time did that happen? They said, well, it was about one o'clock. <laughs> the day starts at sunrise. And so... That's the beginning of the day. Noon is the sixth hour. And one o'clock would be the seventh hour. Took him seven hours to walk from Capernaum. He arrives in Cana, finds Jesus. It's one o'clock when he talks to Jesus. Five minute encounter with Jesus. Five minutes. Maybe less. He starts walking home and he stops and sleeps peacefully. Gets up and travels. Because he believed what Jesus said. And that is what Jesus wanted. Believe what I say. And he said, your son lived, now go home. And as a result of that, we find the whole house believes. I'm sure the next time Jesus visited Capernaum, the nobleman went to all the services. (laughs) He may have heard Jesus preach from Simon's boat. He may have been among the 5,000 that Jesus fed. And not just him, his whole family. His whole household, all of his servants. You see, Jesus wanted to draw more out of him. Not just a miracle. Not just that. He wants you to believe what he says. Now, my friends, will you seek out Jesus for conversation? And will you talk to him? And then will you believe what he says? He's got so much more to offer you than you think. Don't limit him with your prayers. Open the door. Let him do all he wants to do for you. What a change when that man got home whole house believes in Jesus little boys running around like a little boy would strong going and going let Jesus light a fire in your heart today when he looks into your eyes and you'll find it easy to believe him he wants so much more for you he always knows what's best doesn't he The best thing was not to go home with that man. Boy might have died in seven hours. He healed him right there. How happy are those who gets the things that Jesus offer and do it the way he wants it done. May God bless you. May you enjoy your conversations with Jesus. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for that moment of realization when that man looked into your eyes and you told him his son was alive. We thank you and ask that we would have such moments as we look to you and you tell us the things we need to hear and you fill our lives with blessing because we did it your way. So help us, Lord as we search for you, to remember there is so much more that we can have. And there's so much more that you have to offer. And remember, when we come asking, to ask you for whatever it is more that you want to give, so that we can take it into our heart, and let it make us and our whole household happy because of it. Bless us, Lord, we pray. Thank you for the things you did when you were here. They are truly wonderful. And we are grateful for what you did. Bless us as we study those things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In closing, like to turn in your hymn books, if you will, to hymn number 267. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Page 267. Open my eyes.
1: 267 standing as we sing. No. Uh. We pray that we would silently wait for you. We pray that our hearts would have faith and belief and know that you are ready to answer our prayers. May our conversations with you be often, may they be full and free. We ask for our hearts to be set right. Our ears to have all things false disappear from them. Open our sight, our eyes that we may see what is the truth in front of us. And Lord, we ask for your spirit to come in this place. Help our hearts to be ready to receive it. We ask, Lord, especially that you would bless us and give us our country and our homes, our states, and this place where we live, Watch over us, give us wisdom and strength and truth. We know that you have all things in hand, so we pray that we would trust you. We just pray that our our faith would be pure. Protect us, be with us, watch over us through the many dangers that are out there. Bring us back to this place that we may worship you again. May our hearts be full of worship this week, Lord. Watch over us, we ask in your name. Thank you. Thank you.